Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey everyone, it's Adam. And before we jump into today's episode, we're really excited to tell you that this particular episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast is being sponsored by our friends at Sourcebooks. We'll be discussing Chris Ferry and all of his wonderful children's books today with the author himself. And if you're a fan of children's books or looking for additional children's books, Sourcebooks has a few wonderful options for you. So if you like Chris Ferry and his board books, you might also like Don't Push the Button. Larry is a lovable monster, if a bit too curious, and the star of this hilarious picture book. It's a great read aloud for kids, and they will definitely want to read it again and again. The second option that they have for us is Max at Night. Max is a fearless kitten. Max is a brave kitten. Max is a kitten who chases mice. There's only one problem. Max doesn't know what a mouse looks like. With a little bit of bad advice, Max finds himself facing a much bigger challenge. Maybe Max doesn't have to be Max the Brave all the time. Join this adventure. Join this adventurous black cat as he very politely asks a variety of animals for help in finding a mouse. Young readers will delight in Max's mistakes, while adults will love the subtle tongue-in-cheek humor of this new children's classic. I'm going to read that one, too. Uh, the next one is The Snatch Book. Where have all the bedtime stories gone? One dark, dark night in Burrow Down, a rabbit named Eliza Brown found a book and settled down when a snatch-a-book flew into town. It's, a be- it's bedtime in the woods of Burrow Dawn, and all of the animals are ready for their bedtime story, but books are mysteriously disappearing. Eliza Brown decides to stay awake and catch the book thief. It turns out to be a little creature called the Snatch-a-Book, who has no one to read to him a bedtime story. Oh, that's sad. All turns out well when the books are returned and the animals take turns reading bedtime stories to the Snatch-a-Books, with a happy ending of that one. Uh, thank you so much to Sourcebooks for sponsoring this episode. These all sound fantastic. They are children's books, but again, if any of those sound interesting to you, I'm going to definitely be borrowing these as well. So thank you again, and now let's get into our episode. And welcome to episode 199 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Almost at 200. We are almost at 200, and we have big things for our next episode. We do. Very excited about that. Yeah. But we're not talking about that today. No, we're not. We're talking about today's episode. What is today's episode? Um, Today is an interview we did with Chris Ferry, Mm -hmm. who is a... He's like a really smart guy. That's... (laughs) That's the most succinct and perfect way to describe him. He's a really smart guy um, who writes science books for kids. Yeah. He is... Not just science books for babies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. He is a... He's an American who lives in Australia who teaches, like, physics and quantum insert word here for all the different things he teaches... And he had this idea that basically babies should know about this stuff too. So he has all these, if you've ever seen any of the books and you probably have in passing or on Mm -hmm. social media, like 
quantum physics for babies. If you ever thought those things were jokes, they're not. They're amazing books. Chris Ferry writes all of them. And they're really cool. This, they are. They, um, his theory is that basically, and we talk about it in the interview, so I won't dive into it, but like, his theory is, you know, we read all these children's books about all these animals and little babies can tell you what an emperor penguin looks like, but they may never interact with an emperor penguin. They are going to interact with technology and phones every single day, so they should probably know how this type of stuff works. Um, so we talk about how he gets into it, how he decides what books to write. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he is a really also, smart guy. He also has this really, he does some um, books that are sort of parodies of well-known children's books. So he has um, Goodnight Lab, mm-hmm. which is like Goodnight Moon. It looks like our, the same color scheme, but it's this little girl in a science lab. And then um, his latest one is a scientist, scientist um, which is sort of a play on a brown bear, brown bear. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's fun. Yeah. I even, and I actually, towards the end, I pitched him like, you should start doing these for toddlers and teens <laughs> and just trying to maybe hop into that. Yeah. How about be a happen to that trade? I'm not smart enough to write. I couldn't even write like beginner's science for babies. So no. this is not my field, but these are, yeah, they're really cool. I told, uh, our coworker, Christina, who was on a recent intro with me that I am going to be buying these for her baby that will be born later this year. I also accidentally told everyone that was listening that Christina was pregnant, but she took it in stride and was said I could leave it in, so. All right, I edited it out the one time mm-hmm. when she let it Well, when she first was talking about it, it was very early. <laughs> it was very early. Probably a little bit And now we're talking early. about it again. Well, yeah, now <laughs> she's good. She told me that we were in the, we were in the clear. Um, so yeah, and also, before we go into the episode, actually, first off, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. And the reason I wanted you to do that first is because, again, we've been getting some really great emails uh, in the past couple weeks, and one of them I wanted to call out specifically and give some book recommendations about it. I responded to this listener, so she was hasn't been waiting for like two weeks for a response. <laughs> uh, we got this email from a listener, and her name is Brienne. And she basically wrote this really sweet message to us saying that she really appreciates how inclusive we are with all the different authors that we discuss who represent different races, genders, cultures, belief systems, sexual preferences, etc. And something that she pointed out is that we haven't ever really discussed any Christian authors, which is totally fair. It's not that Joe and I have anything against them. Just neither of us really read a lot of Christian literature. And so it never kind of came up to us. And then just full disclosure for everyone, when we interview authors... The overwhelming majority of those are pitched to us, and we haven't had any Christian publishers pitch anyone to Correct. us. Um, all that said, she is absolutely right. We haven't talked about any of these. So she provided a few interesting Christian authors, so I wanted to give everyone the names of the authors that she rep- she asked uh, about, and then we have a few others that I got our collection development librarians to give some as well. So the first one that she suggests is Francine Rivers. Uh, and then the second one is Miss Sue Andrews, M-E-S-U. I'll put this in the show notes for everybody. Um, and then I wanted to, again, I wanted to give her some recommendations and I have emailed her, but if you are a fan of Christian literature and you listen to the podcast, first off, thank you. And second off, here are some additional Christian fiction recommendations. Jan Karen's Mitford series, In This Moment by Karen Kingsbury. The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, which I can confirm 
also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I run the If I Run series by Terry Blackstock, it's kind of like mystery suspense with Christian themes. And then Where We Belong by Lynn Austin. And then there's a few nonfiction recommendations that I actually had. I didn't realize how many Christian nonfiction books I'd read. So, All right. Uh, one is Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. The second is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which I've read literally 10 times. And then The Year of Living Biblica- Biblically by A.J. Jacobs, which I've talked about in the past, was actually the reason that I re-fell in love with reading when I was in uh, college. So, uh, again... Brianne, thank you for reaching out to us. You're absolutely right. We haven't talked about those in the past. Yep. So there's some uh, Christian fiction and nonfiction recommendations for you, and we will try to do better about that in the future. So if you have any recommendations for us or you hear gaps in our recommendations for things that you would like to hear us discuss, shoot us an email. We are happy to either find recommendations for you or, you know. Fill in those gaps. Fill in those gaps. Yeah, exactly. Plus, this helps us do better at our job. Yep. Uh, anything else that you think people should know about before they hear us chat with Chris? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay. Sorry for the long intro, guys. Wanted to get all of that out there for you. But I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Chris Ferry on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Adam and Jill again. And today we're really excited to be joined by Chris Ferry, who is an award-winning physicist and is the Senior Lecturer for Quantum Software and Information at the University of Technology, Sydney. He has a Master's in Applied Mathematics, BMath in Mathematical Physics, and a PhD in Applied Mathematics. He lives in Australia with his wife and children, and despite all of that long introduction, we're actually going to be talking about books. So, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, can you kind of... I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, can can you just maybe give us like an introduction to people who aren't familiar about you know what types of books you write because it's a fun conversation to dive into, but it's very unique. So I'm gonna let you kind of describe what you do in the book world. Well, um, I so I write books for children and um, primarily like board books, picture books for like early readers or maybe even babies, you could say. So the topic is, well, the only thing I really know, <laughs> which is what, you know, what I, what I spent you know, 20 years in school learning about, which is um, physics. So the first book was Quantum Physics for Babies. <laughs> um, something that I, I loved, I, I saw you give a, a lecture on this, but can you maybe explain to people how you went from, you know, working in mathematics and, and science and physics to creating an idea to make it approachable for children ages zero to three? Yeah, I mean, I would, I certainly wouldn't have attempted it had I not had children of my own. Um, you know, I, so I didn't really approach it from like a scientific perspective in the sense that, you know, I, I saw some need and then I researched, you know, all the details of how I would fulfill that need and, and so on. You know, I, I had kids and I was reading books to them and so I became familiar with them. And, and then I thought, you know, hey, there's something missing here. You know, I could inject my expertise into this world and... I 
you know, I thought you know, to make it acceptable and familiar, I would just model it after what already exists. I think one of my favorite things about your books is that um, you kind of, I don't know if I want to say parody, but you kind of um, take well-known children's books like Goodnight Moon and you turned it into Goodnight Lab. And then, of course, Scientist, Scientist is sort of like, you know, Brown Bear, Brown Bear. How do you choose which familiar children's books you're going to kind of tackle and, and approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's an interesting sort of not very formulaic process. I, I look, you know, look at a book and I think about it and I say, could, could I turn this into a sort of science-themed book? What would that look like? Um, and then I probably set it down and stop thinking about it consciously for a while and then I might come back to it or I might see something that kind of changes my opinion of whether or not it could be done. Um, and so it's sort of... Uh, not very linear process. Everything's sort of happening at once, and um, my 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 attention is is only on one thing at a time. But it's all connected to this sort of cloud of things that I'm thinking about. And then, kind of to follow up on Jill's question, along those same lines, how do you determine what aspects of science you want to tell in your next book? Because I mean, you have optical physics for babies, you have quantum entanglement for babies, you have general relativity for babies. There's all these seemingly massive ideas that frankly, I feel like this would be a good, these books would be a good starting point for me. But how do you decide which aspects of your expertise you want to put into these books? kind of on the topic because obviously the babies probably aren't reading these books their parents are uh to the babies have you heard any interesting stories from parents about the books yeah i mean i get lots of of photos and and stories and it's pretty amazing uh now with the social media to see um all of the positive feedback like i get 
pictures of cute babies holding my books <laughs> every day in my email. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, the, the stories are, are funny too. You, know, you hear about kids repeating phrases from, from, from the books. Um, one of the funniest ones was in Goodnight Labs, there's a, there's a, a professor, the grumpy old professor's is shouting publish and and someone posted on Twitter uh, you know kind of half jokingly sarcastically thanks a lot Chris now my two year old is running around the house yelling at me to publish <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh that's so funny have, have you heard any uh, from any parents that like they're actually learning some things about these subjects because like i said for for me if i picked these up i feel like from word one i would be learning more information than i previously had yeah i mean most most of the things i see are just like a photo of the book and then a parent saying you know i kind of i guess protecting the anonymity of the children saying you know i bought this book for my my child and uh, you know, I actually learned something from it. Um, so that that's kind of great to hear as well. I mean, as you said, you know, the, the children are reading quantum physics for babies and, and then <laughs> they're not ready to do research in quantum physics. You know, so ultimately the books are for the parents um, or I guess for the relationship between the parents and, and the children. So I kind of want to ask about with the science books, how, like what your process is, because you come with so much knowledge. How do you kind of pare it down and then put it into terms that a children or child will understand? Yeah, it's not, it's not an, an easy process. It's not something that scientists are trained to do really. Um, we're trained only to communicate with other experts, which is unfortunate. Um, so I think when I when I look at all of the books, I can see that some of them worked, and, and maybe that's by accident, because others, you know, I, I can definitely see, like, there's certainly room for improvement. But, you know, what, what I'm trying to do is make something that is one, one step beyond what is already known or familiar to people. So I start every book with, this is a ball, and then try to, try to, you know, create a story that evolves from just a ball to some concept in, in physics. And all the while, using analogies or making things as simple as possible. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a difficult area to be in because you necessarily have to give up some of the accuracy once you start using simple pictures and analogies but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you know more, more people will do, will do the same thing and, and we'll we'll get better and better at this because it's not something that um, we've perfected as a, as a society something that I am interested in knowing is now that you you know you work so hard to 
simplify these large ideas for, you know, young, young children. But during your kind of day job, you're a, a lecturer, you, you teach. Have you found that, you know, obviously a lot of your, your students are going to be very well versed in this, but have you found yourself being able to kind of simplify ideas and things for your students because of the process of creating these books? You know, I, I think it all kind of goes hand in hand. I'm certainly, since my, my early career as a scientist, I've always, I guess, done things a little bit differently in the way I communicate the science. You know, I've, even to other scientists, not even to other students, but to, to other experts. Based, based on my own experience, you know, sitting in a, in a lecture and watching someone just, you know, ramble off on jargon, I wasn't getting anything out of it. And so I didn't want the same for my audience. So I tried to make things as, as simple as possible. And the other thing that happened, or I realized, when sitting in lectures, was that I actually liked hearing things I already knew. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that people, experts, can sit in a lecture on something they're, they're experts in, and even one where they know everything, and they come away feeling a little bit better because um, there's just so much you don't know, and it's easy to be overwhelmed. And, um, and so hearing things you, you already know is, makes, you, makes you feel good. Um, and then if there's, you know, you're only asked to learn a little bit more, then it's easy. So I, I've kind of always tried to keep things simple, even in the communication of my research. And I think that that certainly helped with the books. And then I think my communication as a scientist to other scientists is, is also improving because of, of writing the books. I think it's sort of a... Um, yes, yeah, a, a symbiotic relationship between the two. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you have children. Are your kids beta readers for your books? Like, do they read your books and kind of discuss, and do they learn stuff from the books? Um, yeah, I mean, they. I think they learn as much, probably more than they would from other books, so, you know, most of the books for early readers, like, you know, one, two, um, they're just, you know, ABCs, um, pictures of animals, that sort of thing, and then the kids come away and with maybe the ability to distinguish between, you know, a lion and a leopard or something like that. Um, but, you know, I... I read it to my kids, and and then I ask them some questions, like, well, do you remember what the parts of the atom were? And if they they proton and electron, then I'm kind of happy, right? They it sort of um, achieved the same thing that that was already existed in in children's books. Um, I don't know how far that you know it can be pushed, or how far it, it should be pushed. Do I? You know, expect them to go to the blackboard and solve some mathematical problem after reading the books. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but you know, if if they 
happy, um, and they liked the pictures and, and, and said if there was some sort of feedback and, and response while I was reading the book, then, I, then I'm usually happy with it. I have to say, I was watching one of your lectures, and, and something that I loved when you're talking about you know, like the animals and, and books like that that are kind of standard when you think of early children's books. Uh, you you gave this uh, this speech about the fact that like you can put up a picture of a puffin and a penguin, and anyone in the world knows what those are. My and I, I was laughing when I was watching this because I, my nieces and nephews have little stuffed puffins and I know for a fact they've never seen one but they could tell you exactly what it is but all of us have you know I'm recording this interview right now in on a phone that five years ago wouldn't have seemed possible and so I, I think when people initially see like quantum physics for babies it may startle them but then when you think more about it like children growing up in today's age should have a base understanding of the technology that they're using every single day as opposed to, you know, an aquatic bird that they're probably never going to interact with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the whole history of, of children's literature. I mean, it's obviously different for every culture. Um, but, you know, I suspect that many books contain farm animals because at some point when books started to become popular, you know, most people, children were born on farms. Um, and so that was familiar. And then exotic animals, I think, are you know naturally intriguing, right? You, or, or dinosaurs. These are obviously interesting things. Um, but somehow that stuck, right? It's kind of like around Christmas time, we listen to the same Christmas songs from the 50s, and we don't ever listen to new Christmas songs. It's like we're stuck with this stuff from the past um, and we haven't really updated it so I agree nowadays probably most children aren't born into a, an environment where there's going to be farm animals around they're going to be born into an environment where there's going to be computers and, and technology and so for the familiarity aspects I think book should have more of that in it. And for the more exotic aspects, you know, I think, you know, at the time, of course, these things were exotic because they, they were new, you know, explorers go out and they find something new and, and bring it back and show everyone and everyone's excited. Uh, they bring an, an animal from the savannah and put it in the zoo in the U.S. and everyone wants to go see it. talking about Christmas songs, by the way, if you wanted to do like a quantum mechanics, you know, quantum physics Christmas album, I would, to <laughs> I would totally listen to that. Right. Okay. Um, I'll think about 
<laughs> something to think. Yeah, you think on it. You've got it. We're in January right now. You've got eleven months. You've plenty of time. Okay. I was thinking, um, like, sort of playing off what Adam said about when people first see the books, they might be a little startled. Because I remember I was. I was like, this is an interesting quantum, you know, physics for babies. But then, you know, I come from a, a language and literature and uh, background. And, you know, studies have shown that children who grow up speaking, they become bilingual early if they're exposed to that and it's easier for children to learn a second language than adults because their brains are still kind of forming and haven't really stuck on anything yet and I'm when I look at it that way it kind of makes sense that if children are exposed to this science early it might make it easier for them as they grow older and get into middle school and high school to um, be able to understand these concepts. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Uh, I think of science is, you know, kind of the, the conversations in science are, you know, written in the language of mathematics and the more abstract things. But it's just, it really is similar to another language. And yeah, the, you know, the sooner you learn it, the sooner you'll be conversant in it. So we have actually, in the last couple of weeks, had a chance to talk to a few children's writers. And something that we have learned is that most children's writers have no control over the visual representation of their books, like the actual images that go in there. But I'm curious, from your standpoint, because of the topics that you're you know, talking about are so specific, do you have any interaction with the people doing the art in your books and any, is there any back and forth about how something should be shown? Well, for most, the most of the books that are currently available, I had originally self-published them. Mm -hmm. They were self-published for a few years and the images in them are basically my original images, but you know, some, tweaks to the color and these sorts of things. Um, so I really haven't had that that experience. Um, it, for most of the books, uh, the design team sends me something back and it, it's more or less the same as, as what, I, what I gave them. So there's really, you know, so I, haven't, I haven't experienced that disconnect between what, what I wanted, mm -hmm. what I thought was going to be there, and what I wanted to be there, and what I was presented with. So did you do the the design for Goodnight Lab? Because there's some stuff in there that, like, that's... If if you did, I'm curious how you did it. It's because it's, they're gorgeous, but there's, you know, there's people in there, and there's different shapes and stuff. Did you do the design for that one? Yeah, I illustrated that one as well. <laughs> Um, it's so cute <laughs> yeah wait how did you did you use is this like a is it a computer illustration I, you're underselling how good you are at this um so i i did that with just a, a free vector graphics software program i mean it's the same 
program I use to make my illustrations for my my lectures and my my academic papers. <laughs> um, so it was it was fairly familiar. Like using the software was familiar to me. Um, and you know, a lot of the, the vast majority of science, by necessity, is like take, taking ideas that other people before you have come up with, and then in, improving on them or combining them. Right? That, uh, even there's a, a beautiful introduction to Isaac Newton's principle. It says, "If I had seen farther, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants." Um, you know, so this, this is Isaac Newton, right? The, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the father of, of, of physics. Um, you know, so when I when I when I look at Goodnight Lab, I I see lots of elements in there, and they're they went they appeared sort of one at a time. Right? So I started with. The human character, and then I looked at, um, you know, how do I want this human human character to look? You know, do I? So I look at examples of of il- cartoons and illustrations of humans, and I pick which one that I that I like, and then I sort of, you know, model my my style based on that, and and then I have some kind of vague idea of what it looks like, and then I and then I try to improve upon it. Um, and then you know I, I watch tutorials on how how to how to do this technique in this software program that I'm using. Um, it, it, none of this will be possible without modern technology and the internet. <laughs> so if I if I want to do something, it, it's amazing. I just type into Google, you know, how, how do I draw a shadow? With this program, and there's someone has created a tutorial on it. It's amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, um, and maybe you know, from the outside, it looks like I've done a lot, and you know, I have expertise in a whole variety of of things. But that's you know, I think what the expertise that I have is is kind of what I learned from doing research and that's how to find the information that you're looking for you you know you kind of have to be confident that it is possible and once you're confident that it's possible then knowing where you know where to find it and having the you know the skills to do the research to find it is 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 i think you know all i have really so I'm curious, you're talking about, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, you know, science is, is building on the work of people that have come before you and, you know, taking that and advancing it and kind of along those same lines. I'm curious because there, I feel like there's an endless possibility for this. So right now you have all of the, you know, these different books for babies, and it seems like you would be the logical person to help people who are learning this as a baby to continue these educate these educational things as toddlers and things like that. So do you have any thoughts about taking all these ideas and all of these different things that you're teaching babies and doing, you know, a version of these for toddlers and a version of these for, you know, like first graders? I just feel like there's so much such such a huge opportunity that you could do with this. Yeah, 
interviews we like to do something we call the nerd nine which are uh nine kind of light-hearted questions so don't put too much thought into these they're not that difficult i promise um what is the last book you finished reading uh astrophysics for people in a hurry by neil degrasse tyson so good we have a lot we have a lot of people in our office who are enjoying that one as well it's very good do you have a favorite point? actually so so on that I, I guess I didn't really read it. I listened to the audiobook. That counts. And it's actually read by Neil himself, and it is amazing. That's all. He has he's, the best voice. Just, yeah, he just does. Just listening to his voice. I wish I, I wish I could pay him to just dictate everything I read. <laughs> yeah, agreed. It's very, very soothing to listen to. Do you have a favorite yeah. place that you like to read? I, I guess I. Does, does listening to books count? Is it? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Recounting listening to. Okay, um, I like I like to listen to, to books uh, on the bus. Actually, um, I don't know why. I just it it seems like you're you're kind of trapped. There's no possibility <laughs> for distraction. Um, you're, you're in this crowd of people, and it, yeah, there's something, something, uh, something about it that that listening to audiobooks has this sort of interesting power of hearing. <laughs> you're, you're on public transit. What book made you fall in love with reading? I guess I'm not 
really a, a big reader. You know, when, when I was young, I can remember spending the vast majority of my time looking at atlases and encyclopedias and yearbooks. And it, it was these sorts of things that really that got me into, in, into reading. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, and so it was that sort of, that they, these contain so much, much knowledge that, that really intrigued me. What is one place that you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think it depends on on would I have to fly with the whole family or not? <laughs> it's a fair question. <laughs> let's let's say you're by yourself. <laughs> um, I I would like to see um, I would like to see you know, more of Southeast Asia. I think that sort of landscape is something that I I haven't really been exposed to yet and I would I would I would love to see that. A favorite holiday that you like to celebrate? Oh, oh you know I'm I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. Um <laughs> coffee or a tea drinker? Oh, I, I drink way too much coffee. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? I definitely, definitely cats. Yeah. Do you have a favorite food? If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? 
Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. Yes. Um, I, I think it would be uh, a Marie Curie. Oh, yeah. That's a good answer. That's a really good I think, answer. I think there's, she would just have so much interesting things to say. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, okay, before I let you go, we always like to ask people, um, what do you hope readers, and in your sense, you know, would be both the parents and the children, take away from reading your books? So I, my impression is that um, people think that physics is difficult or scary. Um, and that it's it's strange to have a children's book about physics, um, but it's it's funny. It's not strange for the children. They don't they don't see it that way. To them, it's just another book. It's, you know, the potential to read something interesting. So I, I would like parents to to come away with with that that this isn't something that's reserved for, you know, the super geniuses. And it's something that a lot of people don't do because they're this sort of autonomous scientist person. Um, You know, we're just other people and we happen to really enjoy these topics and we spent as much time studying it, learning about it, as anyone else does at their own craft. Um, and so I, I hope they come away with, with that, that it's, it's not meant to be challenging. It's not meant to be difficult. It's, it's meant for everybody. And, and um, yeah. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be afraid of it, and 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 you certainly shouldn't shield your children from it. That's perfect, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.